welcome everybody today. Welcome to College Heights. We're glad to have you with us here today as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. And today we are celebrating the victory that Jesus won for past, present, and future. It's the victory of all ages. And um, it's, it's the cross is the place where every sin was paid for. And the resurrection is the place where Jesus is vindicated. Um, it, it means that everything that Jesus said is true. It means that he is God. It means that he has conquered sin and death. It means that every promise he made is true, that every word that he gives to us is trustworthy, and that we can place our everything in him and know that he will take care of us and, and, and deliver on everything that we find in his word. So Acts chapter 13 is, is a presentation of the good news or the gospel. It's, um, it's uh, Paul and Antioch Pisidia, and, and he shares the gospel, and, and as he comes in with there, he begins to tell the story kind of a, of the Bible, and he brings it down in, into a really quick, brief thing, but he starts in Egypt with the children of Israel off in, uh, in captivity there, and they're in bondage to the Egyptians, then he goes from there, he jumps right over to Saul, the first king of Israel, um, and, and then from there he goes to David, the king. Then he skips from David, he skips a thousand years, and he jumps right into John the Baptist, who is the last of the Old Testament prophets. He is the one who prepares the way for Jesus, and, and then he goes from, from John the Baptist to Jesus to uh, Pilate, condemning him to the cross. And then from there, straight in to the resurrection. And, and it's just a, a, a very, very quick presentation of who Jesus is, of what he did, and, and the work of God throughout history. But these few verses that we're going to look at in Acts chapter 13, verses 29 through 31, um, cover the resurrection. So they, they blow that out just a little bit, but it's, the resurrection is a crucial part of the story, and that's what we celebrate today. That's what Easter is all about. So as we come in today, why do we celebrate the resurrection? Why is it such a big deal? Why do we make over it the way that we do? And, um, you know, that's, that's what I want us to look at in Acts 13, 29 through 31. And, and um, I don't know about you guys, but I ate too much at breakfast. I normally don't eat breakfast on Sundays. I don't eat it all on Sundays until I, until I go home. And I told somebody, I said, man, I think I might fall asleep while I'm preaching. But, um, but I'm not used to it. And, and I keep thinking, oh, there's a reason I, I, I shouldn't have done that. But, uh, but everything was so good. Everybody did a great job. Thank you, guys. And, um, and it was a good time and good to get to meet people that I, I don't know very well and, and other things. But let's look at Acts 13, 29 through 31. In Acts, 20, uh, Acts 13, 29, it says, And when they had carried out all that was written of him, the hymn is Jesus, they took him down from the tree or the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. So as Jesus is placed in the cross, it, the writer tells us, or, or Paul is telling us, he's saying, look, everything that was written in the Old Testament about Jesus, every prophecy, everything has been fulfilled right here at this time. And there's just a little bit left that's going to come out, come down in a couple of days, in three days later. But, but he tells us this. And so they take Jesus, they place him 
in the tomb. And I want to look at two things about the resurrection today. And the first one is Jesus makes us fully alive. Jesus makes us fully alive. Um, <clears throat> sin not only brings physical death, it's not what causes us to die physically. It brings spiritual separation from God. Spiritually, it puts up a wall between us and God that prevents us from knowing him, that prevents us from hearing his voice. It prevents us from anything with him. But resurrection means that we have been brought from death to life. Sin makes us dead and we need a resurrection. Our sin is what separates us from God. Paul put it this way in Colossians 2, 13 through 15. He said, and you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, with Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in Christ. So, so Paul tells us that, that we owed a debt. We had a debt that we could not pay and that what God has done is he has canceled that debt, not because of anything we did, but because of what Jesus has done, that he cancels the record of debt that stands against us with its legal demands because God is holy and God is just and, and God cannot let sin go unpunished. So we were made to know and worship God. So if we come in and we go back to the very beginning of the Bible, um, where do we come from? It tells us this, and we were made to know and worship God. That's what we were built for. We were made to worship. And you go, well, how do you look? People worship all the time. We worship all kinds of stuff. Go to a ball game. People are worshiping. They're going crazy. And, and um, so we will find something to ascribe worth to. We will find something to praise. We will find something to worship because we're built that way. Um, we were made to know and worship God, though. Ultimately, that's really what we were made for. We were made to know him and to worship him, to have a perfect union with him. And in other words, to know him fully as he fully knows us. We're made in his image is what the scriptures tell us in Genesis 1.20. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. So as, as we look around the room today, collectively, we reflect the image of God. We reflect who he is and, and reflect the, uh, the person of God. That's what we were made to do. So how, how are we you know, doing it? If, if you come into Genesis 1 and 2, it was a perfect relationship. It was a perfect face-to-face relationship with God that Adam and Eve had. So if you come back and you read in the first two chapters of the Bible, you'll see that Adam and Eve were with God in the cool of the day and he walked with them. They fully knew him. They fully understood God. They had this, this um, relationship with him that was unhindered. It, it had, there was nothing to dilute it or to hurt it. Um, they fully trusted him. They weren't, they weren't ashamed of anything. They were totally dialed in to God. So we come in there and then we jump into chapter three. And what happens in chapter three, um, the serpent comes in and, and the serpent's the devil. And, and he 
tempts them, and, and he tells Eve, you know, he says, hey, what, what's, what's up with this? Um, you know, God told you you can't eat from any tree in the garden. No, no, no. He said we can't eat, we can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We can't even touch it. And, and um, you know, she's adding on to the story, and, and Satan goes, ah, oh, you know, he's just, he's just jerking your chain. He's just holding out on you. I mean, if you'll do that, if you'll do that, you'll be like God. He just, he just doesn't want you to know everything that he knows. And, and, and so Eve looks at it, and, and um, you know, Adam's right there with her. He's just not saying anything. But, but um, you know, so they're both guilty as can be, um, guilty as sin, I guess. Um, but, uh, but they're both there, and, and, and she, you know, it says Eve looked at the fruit. She said, boy, it's pleasing. You know, it looks good. It's pretty. And, and um, I think I, I desire that. And so she takes some and gives some to Adam, and, and Adam just follows right along, and, and they go right down, and, and then all of a sudden, the next thing you see is Adam and Eve are hiding from God. And, and God says, well, why are you hiding? He says, well, we're naked. He says, well, who tells you we're naked? Uh, uh, uh. And, and it just kind of goes from there. And, and so all of a sudden, their eyes are opened, and they do see evil. And they do know that there's their, their innocence is shattered. They've eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and sin has brought its curse on creation and humanity. You know, to put it in perspective, if you look around, we've got a lot of little children here today. And the little children, most of them, you know, they'll come up, they'll take, you know, they'll just come up to anybody and grab hold of them, give them a hug, um, trust them or, or whatever. But then they reach a certain age and all of a sudden there's stranger danger. You know, and, and, and I don't want to be around people I don't know because I'm afraid. Because, and, and then um, where everything before is, is innocence and trust, all of a sudden, trust is broken. Trust has been violated. And they begin to see, oh, the world's not the way that I saw it to begin with. And, and it goes in. And that's what sin does. Um, Satan told Adam and Eve, if you eat the fruit, you'll be like God. What he didn't tell them was, was the, what, what you're going to be getting is, is you're going to be thrown right into evil and all of the things that, uh, that God has protected you from, they're now going to come up and, and bite you. So they received something that they didn't ask for. And, and that was separation from God. They were banished from the garden. God in his grace and mercy, he does a couple of things. Um, first of all, he gives them clothing to cover their shame. So first of all, he covers up their shame and, and, um, and their guilt. And then the next thing he does is he banishes them from the garden so that they don't eat of the tree of life and live forever separated from God. So he says, I won't let that happen. There, there is a plan to redeem you and to bring you back. So <clears throat> this, is, this is totally different than what they thought would, would happen. But, but you know, this, it's, the way life is, is we... We think one thing, and, and we try to live it on our own, and, and we end up somewhere totally different. This last summer, um, I went out one day on the Upper Kenai with some friends, and, and we, we hopped in my drift boat, and, and we were floating down. We'd stop and fish a little bit, and, and we were going on down. And we were back behind this little island, this back channel, and we're going in there. And say, hey, this looks like a good place to stop and fish. So I pop the anchor and throw it out, and, and, and it's not catching. I mean, it's just, we're just keeping going. We're not even slowing down hardly. I'm like, what's up with that? And I look over and go, oh, well, there's rocks about like this all over the bottom. It's not very deep. You know, it's maybe waist deep, but the water's ripping through fast enough just to pull that boat, just 
you know, all four of us is going on down. And, and so when I turned around to look, I'd let go of my oar, and all of a sudden the oar caught on the side, and it popped out of the boat and landed on the beach, which is an island, and we're just going. Now, here's the, here's the thing. You think, well, you know, just use the other oar. Well, that doesn't work. When you row with one row, one, one oar on a drift boat, what you do is you go in circles. And, and, you know, my immediate thought was, well, the anchor is holding me back there in line so I can do this and, and I'll tack over. But that didn't work because the rope just kept me in the same line. And then I'm, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I mean, we're at the end of the, the islands right, right there. And, and we're going to be behind it. The water's going fast. And I've got a $300 oar sitting over here and I'm cheap. And I don't want to lose, lose that oar. Well, you know, what are we going to do? And I looked at the depth of the water. And I grabbed my spare oar. <clears throat> and I put my spare oar in. But the problem is, is the spare oar is not a good oar. It's just a cheap oar that came out of a 16-foot boat that I had. And when I replaced the 16-foot boat with the 19-foot boat, I kept the spare oar that I had with the 16 when I sold the 16-foot boat and said, you can figure out what you can do for your own spare oar. This one will work. Well, it's about this much shorter than the other one. So I jump in. In the midst of all of it, in the midst of all of it, I'm not thinking anything about I don't have matched oars, you know, things are going backwards. I am just frantically pulling with all my might to get to that sweet little slip of soft water where I can get out of the boat, walk 50 yards upstream, and get my oar. And, and so Kirk, he's grabbing the anchor, pulling the anchor while I'm stroking on the oars. And, and, um, and you know, by the time we got there and got the boat out and, and stopped, yeah, we made it. I'm still alive. Everybody knows that. But, um, and the people who are with me are still alive. That's important. Um, but, uh, but man, I was just wore out. I mean, I was just absolutely wore out by the time I got there because I was just, just you know, it, it, I moved from being in this thing where everything was great, beautiful day, sunshine, t-shirt weather, the water's amazing, you know, just watching everything, beautiful place, quiet, um, nice sounds of nature, you know, everything that's just, that's great about Alaska. You're there and you're on the water and, and, and doing it. And, and then all of a sudden, you go from that to, to immediate chaos. That's what sin does. It takes us from moving right where God wants us to be, enjoying everything there, and then boom. It's like, where are my clothes? What's happening? What's going on? Where is it? And, and this is what took place there. So that's, that's what happened. And, and all of a sudden, there's this franticness. And that's what sin does. And this is what happens in Genesis 3.19. God tells them, the man and the woman, he says, By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you were dust. And to dust you shall return. So this is what God tells them. says, the result of sin is that your labor is no longer sweet. You're not rowing down the river with two matched oars on a beautiful sunny day. You are fighting for your life to get over here so that you can get to the beach and make it back without getting caught up in, in uh, something else. So this is where it happens. And the cross, when we come in, the cross is the place where Jesus defeats sin and death. The cross is the place where he cancels this sin and he cancels the record of debt and met the 
righteous demands of God by taking our place on the cross. This is what happens as we come in. So that's what we celebrated Friday night on Good Friday. We were dead, but Jesus offers us life. We are dead in our sin and trespass, but he offers us life. He reaches out to restore us from our sin and and shame and bring us back into a right relationship with God. So this is this is what he does. In other words, he takes our missing mismatched oars and puts it back with the set that are matched that enable us to do the things that God created and made us to do. He restores us back to where he created us to be. So it said when Jesus had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the cross, they put him in the tomb, but God raised him from the dead. And for many days, he appeared to those who come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. So this is what happened. This is what the resurrection is. So the resurrection makes us fully alive and fully alive means one more thing. And that's that we're fully restored. See, we're, we're made in the image of God. That's where we came from. God created us. The problem that we have is sin. That's what went wrong. That's the problem with everything in our world. That's why things fall apart. That's why um, we have problems. But Jesus dying on the cross is, is the way that we come in to be redeemed, to be restored. How do we fix the problem? And it is through the cross. Fully alive means we're fully restored. Not only is our sin debt paid, we're made new. We're made new. Not only does God forgive us, he gives us a new heart. He gives us a new mind, a new life, a new desire. Um, and it has tremendous implications in our lives. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, uh, Paul wrote, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, new things have come. And, and that word behold there, that, that's, that's like screaming it. That's saying, this is the important part of the sentence. New things have come. New things have come. And it means that the past is truly the past. It means that in Christ, it means when we come to the cross, it means that our past is put aside, that God forgives our past, that he gives us a new heart, that he gives us a new future, that he fully forgives us, that we're fully restored. It means that God gives us a new beginning and we're no longer bound by sin. The things that held us down no longer have hold on us. The things that destroyed us can no longer destroy us. They no longer have power over us because Jesus has created us anew. God doesn't have different levels for different people coming to Christ. You know, a lot of things, well, the people who are really bad, you know, the people who, who uh, never go to church, those people, they, they, they're in a whole different class, you know, or, or the people who are, are um, felons, they're in another class, you know, or the people who have a history of addiction, they're in another class. That, that is not true. That is not true. God has two groups of people on the planet, the redeemed and the unredeemed. There are no more. There are no different levels of, of it. God doesn't have different levels on us depending on how bad our past was. Jesus makes dead things come to life, and sin makes you dead, and Jesus makes you alive. It's just as simple as that. That's the way it works. Jesus raised the dead back to physical life. If you go back in the New Testament, you're going to see, um, you, I can name three instances where Jesus brought the dead to life. In Mark chapter 5, there was a man named Jairus. Jairus' daughter was sick. He went to, to sin to have Jesus come to, raise, to, to heal his daughter because he knew 
that Jesus was a healer. And, and while this was happening, another thing took place. Jesus got delayed. And, and then they came in and said, hey, don't bother me anymore. She's dead. And Jesus said, don't worry about it. You just come with me and believe. And Jesus goes in, he goes in the room, he takes Peter and John with him, he goes up in there, and he, he, he grabs her by the hand, and he says, little girl, get up. And she comes back to life. And the people are like, wow, you know, this is, this is amazing. And then Jesus goes, um, he's going into the town, into the city, and coming out the city gates one day is a widow with her son. Her son has died, her adult son, and, and she's, she's at, at a loss. I mean, a widow is sunk in those days. There's nobody to take care of her, no way for her to make money. She is sunk. She's there. She's mourning. They're coming out. They're bringing the son. They're taking him out of town to bury him, to bury him. And, and what happens? Jesus comes over, walks up, boom. Jesus comes to your funeral. You no longer need a funeral. Yeah, I mean, that's a weird thing. In the New Testament, when Jesus shows up around dead people, dead people come alive. Because that's the power of God. That's what, that's what he, he does. Um, and, and in John chapter 11, we see the story of Lazarus in the tomb. And, and Jesus going down there. And, and uh, Jesus comes here. And, and the same thing happens again. Here's... here's um, the story of Lazarus, uh, Lazarus has died. They've sent for Jesus. Mary and Martha have sent for Jesus. Jesus comes, um, but he waits four days. And, and he tells the disciples, hey, we, we need to go and, uh, and, and go, go, go find Lazarus because he's dead. And, um, and, and I'm glad, you know, that's a good thing and, and because you get to see something now. And so they come in and they go to Lazarus. And, and um, as they get there, Martha's saying, you know, Lord, I, I wish you would have been here. If you would have just come, if you would have just come, this wouldn't have happened. He would be alive. And, you know, he, he talks to her and, and, and begins to, to share with her. And, and then he said to her, she says, well, don't you believe me? She says, yeah, I know he'll come back to life in the resurrection. And here's what she said in John 11, 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. We're not talking about something in the future. I'm it right now. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? So, so this is what Jesus tells Martha. And, and he says, look, I am the resurrection. I am life. I bring the dead to life. Not just the physically dead, but the spiritually dead. I give you a life that's way beyond anything that's on this planet. He raises us from spiritual death and eternal separation God, from God into eternal life and living forever in the presence of God. That's the promise that Jesus makes. It's simple, yet it's all-encompassing. It, it comes in. And so what, what Jesus offers is, is he offers to resurrect us to a new life, a new beginning, a fresh start with God. In Romans 3, through 26, Paul put it this way. He said, for there is no distinction, no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus 
whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So there's some important things kind of coming in there. First of all, he says, we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat, and, and we are all heading towards the same destiny, and that is destruction away from God. That's where we all start. We all start off in that. And, and then he, he goes on to say, but God offers us justification. He offers to make us right. He gives us, he offers us a gift by his grace through redemption that Jesus makes possible. And and it says that God put him forward as a propitiation for our sins. Now, that's a word that you probably didn't hear this week at work. And if you did hear it, you said, what'd they call me? You know, and if your child came home and said propitiation, you might say, what are you saying? Because this is not a word that I'm used to hearing. As a matter of fact, you probably only hear this word in church. But it's a beautiful word. It is, it is maybe one of my favorite words in the whole Bible. And those of you who've been here a few times, you know, because I've said this before. But, but the thing about it is, what, what propitiation says is that Jesus is holy and just. God is holy and just, and he must punish sin. He is a righteous judge. And he will give us what we deserve. He won't pass over our sin. But he's also a God of grace and mercy. And because he's a God of grace and mercy, he said, in my grace and mercy and in my love, I will bear their sin. I'll pay the price. I will pay the price. Think of the, the, the meanest, nastiest person you've ever known in your life. And you know what? When Jesus died on the cross, he said, I'll take it. I'll take it. If they want to receive it, I'll take it. He paid the price. Not just for the sin of what we call good people, but for evil people. Because that's what sin does to us. So that, that's what that word is. That's amazing, isn't it? That, that how, can God, how can God forgive someone? Because he, he took it. He took it. He's not putting anything under the rug. He's not sweeping it under the table. He said, no, no, I'll bring it out in the full light. And I'll bear the brunt of it all. That's why Jesus was on the cross. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because at that moment, holy God tasted sin. He tasted the vilest sin that humans would ever commit. And he bore it. And and he felt that separation and that darkness. And the Bible tells us the earth went dark for three hours. While God, holy God, took on all of the ugliness of man. That's what propitiation is. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, isn't it beautiful, that kind of a love, a love that, that would take everything and give everything? 
You see, not only did he take my sin, but he gave me his righteousness. You see, Jesus has done for us what we can never do for ourselves. He did it on the cross when he paid for our sins and redeemed us with his life. He died in our place. He died in our place so that we could live. And, and so Jesus is offering us his righteousness, not based upon what we've done, but based upon what he has done. And, and God has always had a plan. He's always had a plan to restore creation back to where it started. And that begins with Jesus. That's where the plan begins, and that's where the plan concludes. And the resurrection is the completed, uh, is the completed victory for all time. It has completed the victory for all time. What Jesus did on the cross by his death and resurrection finished it. Our burdens, our sin, he offers to restore. He offers to restore us from our burdens, from our sins, from our brokenness, from our hurt, from our shame, our guilt, all of that stuff that comes up. Say, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I'm thinking like this. What kind of a person am I? Jesus paid it. Paid it all. Paid it all done. He did it to give us a new beginning. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. You see, that's what takes place. That's what resurrection is about. And, and God comes in and he moves and he gives us a new beginning. And not only does he give us a new beginning, he gives us a place to serve in his kingdom. He gives us a place to be a part of the family of God. He brings us to the table to dine with him. He, he doesn't say, okay, I'll forgive you of that, but I don't ever want to see you again. Oh, no, 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 no. Not only have I forgiven you, I've removed your sin. I've made you whiter than snow. And I want to be with you. Not only do I want to be with you, I want to trust you. And I want to use you. And I want you to experience all of my blessings. You see, God wants to use broken people that the world discards. People that the world would discard and say, you know what? They're so broken. They're so messed up. They're so evil. There's no hope. Boy, Easter Sunday says something different, doesn't it? There's always hope. God uses broken vessels. Resurrection is about a new beginning. It means bringing something that's dead to life. Sin makes us dead, but Jesus makes us alive. Isn't that great? I mean, that's just the best. That's the best news. That's, that's the message of Easter is that Jesus makes us alive in Christ. Men put Jesus on the cross. The sinless son of God gave up his life willingly. And took the punishment for our sin, but the grave couldn't hold him down. He offers to redeem and restore 
Every single person who comes to him in faith. You see, <clears throat> the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus, the message of the New Testament, the message of the Bible really comes down to a very simple thing. God created you in his image. You're made to know God. Sin has disrupted that. God has provided a way out of that. And he himself became a man. Jesus, God in the flesh. He came, he lived, he died. He bore our sin on the cross. Conquered sin and death through the grave when he rose from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of God. And he's coming again. And just like Jesus said, <clears throat> do you believe to Martha? He says the same thing to you today. Do you believe? Do you believe? Now, when I say do you believe, I'm not saying do you believe the story is true. I'm saying do you want to act on the story? Do you want to step in to the story? Just cognitively having it stored away in our heads doesn't really do anything. It's just another fact. But a fact that we act upon changes our lives. So, if I could tell you what the stock market would do next year, and you believed that, you go, oh, that's true, that's fine. But if you put money on it, a year from now you come back and say, man, that was the best advice I ever got. Because you'd clean house. Look, here, here's Jesus right here. He's saying, do you believe? Step into me. Step into me. So <clears throat> here's how you do that. It, it's very simple. It's one, it's, it's acknowledging our sin before God. It's saying, you know what? You're right, God, and I'm wrong. That's called confession. That's confessing our sins before God. It's when we come to the point of being at the end of ourselves and saying, you know what? I have wrecked my life. I, there, there is nothing I can do. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. But no matter how hard I try, I just keep getting the same results. And I know that I'm the problem. It's sin. It's sin in me that, that's done this. So that's called confessing your sin before God, saying I've sinned against God. The second thing is acknowledging that Jesus is God who died on the cross, rose from the grave, and asking him to be your Lord, master, king, boss. That's called repentance. It means I'm living life on my terms, but I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to turn and follow Jesus. Does that mean you're going to be perfect and never mess up? No, nah, it doesn't mean that. It means that you're going to be on a journey and just like everybody else, you're going to stumble and fall every now and then. But it means that over time, you're going to become more and more and more and more like Jesus. Just like the children here, over time, become more and more and more like their mom and dad. Sorry, kids, but it's going to happen. One day you wake up and go, oh my gosh, I'm my dad. But when we come to Jesus, you know what? We become more and more and more like him. 
And we trust him in all things. It really is that simple. It's saying, this is the message of God. This is the word of God. I trust the word of God. I trust that Jesus did die for me on a cross. And I don't know all the details of it, but I'm going to find out. And I'm going to follow him. And I'm going to trust him to be who he said he was. And here's the, the coolest thing about all of it is, ain't got a thing to do with me saying anything. It doesn't have a thing to do with being in the church. It doesn't have a thing to do with the day. It has everything to do with the Spirit of God speaking to you right now. Jesus said, all whom the Father gives to me will come to me, and I will never turn them away saying that he calls us to himself, that God reaches out and does this. So yeah, everything going on around you, yeah, it's, it's been a part of the picture. But ultimately, if the thing inside of you right now is saying, you know what, that's what I want. I want a fresh start. I want to know that I belong to Jesus. I want to know that I have a future with him. I want to know that my baggage is taken away. I want a fresh start. I want a new heart. I want. That is between you and the Spirit of God in the moment. And the ball's squarely in your court. What will you say? Yes or no? You can either hold all your marbles or you can give them all to Jesus. But I want to tell you something. The God who made you God who knows you, he knows what's best for you. And he will give you the very best that there is. Or you can live it on your own. But that's the choice that we have. That's what the resurrection means. It means bringing what is dead to life. Isn't that great? It's just great. So maybe today you're here and you say, you know what? That's what I want. I've never, I've never responded to Jesus like that. That's what I want. You, you can be, I mean, we're going to sing a song here in just a moment. The band's going to come up here and play. And we'll be singing. You can come down here and say, hey, you know, you can say, look, I can't wait. I, I need to talk to you right now. Come on down. I'd love to do that. Nobody will think anything weird about it. If they do, that's their problem anyway. Maybe you just want to pull that card out in the back and write on it and say, hey, I want to know more about this. Can you give me a call? Love to do that. Love to do that. I'll get hold of you or Pastor Roy or somebody here at church. We'll get hold of you this week. We won't let it rest. At your convenience. We'll even throw that in. At your convenience, not ours. Because it's the most important thing in the world. You can check that out. Put it in that box as you go out, and, and we'll do that. But whatever it is, don't leave here today without responding to Jesus. We can praise him. We can come to him. We can experience him. Resurrection means a new, fresh beginning. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We thank you. Father, you alone are worthy of all glory and all honor and all praise. Father, we praise you today for the sacrifice that's beyond our imagination, for the life that you offer to us in Jesus, for the hope that we have in him, and just for the fact 
that when you make someone you, you make them fully new. That you take what's broken and bring it back to life. That you take messed up people and use them to do things that make an eternal difference. Father, we praise you for today. We praise you for the extravagant way you've made your love known to us. And Father, we pray that as we close here today, that you'll draw us close to you. We praise in Jesus' name, amen.